Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. I'm going to see if I can clarify some things here. What we tried to look at, we spent some time in Ezekiel looking over a coming war and how that's going to produce a lot of uh, fear, uh, a lot of awesome uh, feelings among people, that people are going to do it. And God says, I'm doing this the way I'm doing it in order that you will know that I am the Lord. And it's going to be one of those situations, again, where people are actually knowing there is the supernatural almighty God. They're knowing it for sure. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to respond positively to that, but they're going to know that he is God. So then we tried to see then, what does God want us to do in that? Well, one, the first message we looked at was be still and know that I am God. You're not. No one else is. I am God. So it was to be still and know that I'm God. The next week, we looked at why it's important for us to rest in him. Not get ourselves agitated, not get ourselves all full of fear, not get ourselves in any of those sort of things, but instead to rest in him and know that he is God. Next week, we're going to look at what that means for a believer as a believer learns how to walk in the spirit of the living God. But today, I want to show you what can happen if we don't rest in him. What can happen if we don't be still and know that he is God? What can happen if we reject that truth? So today, we're going to talk about spirit-aided insanity. Spirit-aided insanity. And so everybody grasp what I'm saying. Insanity is that mind which cannot and does not think the things of God, that it's lost one whole part of truth, that it's rejected the truth of the living God who created it, and because of that, they're not working with all the instruments they should be working with. They're only working with part of the truth. Kids, that's insanity. And I want to show you why the Scriptures teach that very thing. Fair enough? All right. Uh, Update. Steve and Stephanie Kelly, the cyclone that was headed right for them, Cyclone Mocha, was headed right for them, changed its direction right at the last minute, and went south into Myanmar instead of a uh, north into Bangladesh. Now, what that meant was the big Rohingya uh, refugee camp that's just outside, well, a few miles from the hospital, that they've been treating a lot of people in, um, that didn't get destroyed like it was written. Now, across the line in Myanmar, uh, the refugees there did experience a lot of pain and trouble. Okay, So uh, what that amounted to was that there was going to be a little more increase in the number of people they're going to get to see at the hospital. For those of you who've been keeping up with uh, Steve and Stephanie Kelly at, in Bangladesh at the hospital there, will know that additional people is only more struggle because they already have more people than they can deal with. Steve is there as a surgeon. Um, the surgeon that was sent to him uh, is now returning to Brazil, and I'm not sure he'll be back again. Uh, it wasn't quite what everyone had hoped it would be. He doesn't quite have the skills that were necessary to help. Uh, he had been working in a Brazilian hospital. Matter of fact, he was the head of that hospital. He'd be, been working there 
and it's the hospital there is more. That's a, that's not a, a third world country, Brazil, as you know. That's that's pretty high up there, very uh, sophisticated place these days, and because of that, the the people they saw is more like a clinic, uh, a hospital uh, that uh, has no trauma center. Uh, but when he got to Bangladesh, discovered that is a mass unit. This this thing is a, a difficult place. It's loaded with trauma all the time. And you've got to know how to deal with traumatic situations and traumatic surgeries. And that doesn't seem that that uh, surgeon was quite up to that. So uh, they're still looking for another surgeon. What that amounts to is that Steve is now back to 24-7 on call. So uh, that's that's going to put in many, many hours, as you can see. And uh, our concern is for Steve's health, for Stephanie's health, uh, for the staff there, because they're seeing a lot, a lot of people. But friends, people are still coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise his name. Amen. All right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much. What an awesome God you are. Thank you for caring for us, for loving us, for watching over all that we uh, have. Thank you, Father, for taking care of us in every way. You are a, a great provider. And thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us that opens our heart to the truth of the Word of God. And thank you for the Word of God in our own language. Thank you, Father, that it's readable, it's understandable, and we can have it. Thank you for what you're going to do in us just now. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds to that Word. We do pray for Steve and Stephanie. Father, please bring them a surgeon that can stay. Give them a surgeon that can be approved by Bangladesh, that Bangladesh will let him in and have the visas or her in, whoever that is, Father, and help them to have those um, kind of qualities that are necessary for a traumatic hospital like that one. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that's being presented through uh, Bob, Archibald, Father, I, I thank you for the way you're working in his life right now. Thank you for the many good things that you're doing as you bring the gospel all around the world. We thank you for what you're going to do as you work through the authorities in our lives, Father. We ask you to bring them to the fear of God and grant that through the fear of God they might understand the love of God and through that be saved. Thank you for what you're going to do as you bring them wisdom, for we definitely need leaders with wisdom today, Father. Now, thank you for it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. I'll read just a few of them, and then we'll uh, begin to look into the Word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What do you see going on there? Number one, God's wrath is being revealed. Now, that's not lightning bolts, that's not floods, that's not disasters, though all of those things may be in it. This is the wrath of God that we would call of more passive. It's where God is going to step back and let people do what they want to do. What, what that winds up with, listen, your creator made you and he gave us a book that would tell us how to live. Who would know better how to live than that one? Who would know better what we're all about since he knows us from the time we are conceived and he knows all about us that whole time. When he gives a book, you ought to listen to that book. When he tells you words, you need to listen to those words. 
Well, here, people are not listening to those words. In this, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. They're suppressing the truth and righteousness. They're holding the truth down in their behavior. All right, going on further. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, they know who God is. God showed it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Stop just a moment. The world we're living in, I believe, is an insane world. I'm thinking that if you can't figure out whether you're male or female, there is a problem in some thought processes. I'm thinking further, if you are approving of that, there is something wrong with your thought processes. And may I say, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be mean with anybody. Salvation is possible for everyone. But you can't keep practicing what you're doing. When you come to Christ, you may come in any state at all. He receives sinners in any state. He receives people in any state of mind, any state of being, any state of behavior. He receives them. But he receives them to change them. He's receiving them because they are not ready for the kingdom of God. They are not ready to enter into that kingdom. He is making them qualified to enter into the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus does. It's Jesus' open invitation to people. How did we get to this place where some man can be on a woman's swim team? How how do we get to that place? And how do we get to a place that you're under more of a big problem for objecting to it than you are for seeing such a thing happen? That's insane, brothers and sisters. That's insane. And and, and even I'm saying it, somebody may may very well oppose that idea by saying simply, listen, this is some very smart people. Yes, it is possible to be an intellectual giant about lies. Look, if, if you know a whole lot of lies really well, that doesn't make you a smart person. If you don't know the truth, you know, matter of fact, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And it doesn't matter to what level of education you are, what level of status you are, if you can't know enough to know there's a God, you have trouble. You are what the Bible calls a fool. How does insanity start? So let's start. Insanity starts simply. What do you have to do to, go, to become insane? So today's lesson is how you can become insane. All right? First, a willful disregard for truth. Just a rejection of God. All you have to do is say, yeah, I know those things are out there, but I don't want them. That's where insanity starts. That's how insanity gets its momentum. That's where it's conceived. If you, if you can, I want you to think with me in those terms this morning. This is a pregnancy. We'll call it an insane in pregnancy. All right? There is a conception that takes place, and it starts. That little sperm that enters that egg, 
That's where this thing starts. It starts with a willful disregard for the truth. Now, that's not ignorance. That's not the same thing as ignorance. You cannot know anything. That's different from willfully knowing what it is and disregarding it. And that's where insanity begins, all right? Secondly, it's the willful acceptance, even creation, of a new source of authority or truth. We will honor the, the same source uh, of, of truth that we, in other words, we'll live the same truth that we honor. So when you don't accept the living God, when you disregard that truth, when you're not going to accept the living God, you're going to ha- accept something. So you'll create something that you can honor, that you can give power to, that you are willing to say, we trust this. This is absolutely truth. All right? So a willful disregard. How did that happen with us? Years ago, we started willfully disregarding the truth that there is a creator. I grew up in the 50s, and in the 50s, we had a good church time. There were a lot of good things going on in church. But at the same time, there were a lot of good things going on in church. There were a lot of strange things going on in the culture. There was a culture that was taking pornography and raising it to a new level, raising it to a, quote, intellectual level. And the Playboy philosophy came out. And we started seeing that as something that was really important. We started seeing that it's more important for us to be intellectually stimulated than it was for us to be spiritually stimulated. And our children lost sight of what what church was about. They lost sight of what spirituality was about, and they began to realize that we can enjoy each other. And they used more peer groups. I'm, I'm going to say, I don't mean this ugly, but what backed a big part of that was youth groups with church. Why? We honored youth as if it in and of itself was some sort of thing to be worshipped, some sort of thing to be praised, that, quote, they couldn't understand what adults go through. They could only understand in their own context. Kids, that contributed to it. I'm not saying it's the problem. I'm just saying simply it contributed to it because there was something that was going on during that period of time that there's now a division coming between home and family or between home and school. That division that just kept growing on had been started in the 20s. That was the Educational Association's goal in the 20s was to separate children from the superstitions of their parents. John Dewey wanted that, point blank. Let's have classes, let's segregate them out into age groups where they can't be around older brothers and sisters. They can't learn the wisdom that older brothers and sisters have. They can only learn the wisdom of their peers, their same third graders, their same fourth graders, and the peers are going to share that kind of information. Kids, we were moving to insanity because now peers were going to be the test of truth, not the Word of God. Do you realize that's what allowed the fact the Word of God should come out of the school to take place? That's what allowed prayer to not stay in school. Now, I don't necessarily agree with prayer as they were doing in schools. I don't think it's right for an unbeliever to stand up and recite some sort of red prayer. I don't think that's prayer at all. But as someone pointed out, as long as there are final exams and as long as there are tests, there will always be prayer in school. All right? When you have a willful acceptance of that, a willful acceptance of a disregard for the truth, 
when a one whole system is set up to completely disregard what is true and call it a superstition that's for your family and keep trying to pull you away more and more from your family, you can easily see how insanity is on its way. Are you following me? I'm not asking if you agree with me. I'm asking simply, do you follow where my thought is coming here? There was a willful acceptance of it. And here's what they did. Here it tells us that in uh, verse, um, no, 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 yeah, back to verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. That's rejection of him. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when your foolish heart is darkened, that means that one whole level of information that informed you before is missing. You don't have that level of information. We are spiritual beings, and the spiritual creator was telling us how to live. When we blopped off his level of information, when we took him away from us, we are cheating ourselves. We don't have one level of information. We don't have what comes from the Word of God. We don't have revelation anymore. So all we're left with is our, quote, reason and imagination. So with that reason and imagination, foolish hearts being darkened, we created something we could worship. So look how they did it. Here it says, their foolish hearts were darkened, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They went right into idolatry. And with that idolatry, you're working on insanity, all right? It's the abuse of legitimate spiritual authorities as gods. Were there authorities over them? Yes. All nations, all people groups, all cultures have an authority over them that was given to them by Almighty God. It was a principality. It was a power. It was there who were supposed to teach them how to live and how to get back to God. They were supposed to help them fulfill Acts chapter 17. God gives them a time to raise up, and the, the principalities were going to show them how you can get back to God that you divorce yourself from back at the Tower of Babel. Those people were supposed to come back to God, and those spiritual authorities were there. But the spiritual authorities got abused themselves by wicked people who turned those spiritual authorities who were supposed to give them guidance into gods to be worshipped and then made images of what those gods were. Now, I'm not going to tell you that every god, every principality, if you would, looks like a, a, a man's head, uh, uh, an eagle's uh, wings, a uh, 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 body of a lion, and the feet of a bear. I'm going to tell you that's what they all look like. I'm going to tell you that's what people created about them because it spoke to them about they have the intellect of man, they have the speed of an eagle. They have the strength of a lion. They have the, the, the cruelty of a bear. They, they created for themselves images that they felt they could worship out of the things they worshiped in their own society. All right? So that's abuse of legitimate spiritual authorities as gods. Then there was the willful worship service of the new source of authority and truth. So what did they do? They worshiped it. Uh, back where it says they made these new images, they worshiped them. They changed that glory, the, the things that they were supposed to give to God, they changed that into a worship group. Then there was a creation of an elite authoritative group who communicate with the deities to discover their will, commands, and doctrine. That's a priesthood. So you create a priestly level. 
the priests that understand, they talk with the deities. They talk with these, and, they, and as they talk with them, the deities talk back to them, and they teach them doctrines and teachings and that sort of thing. And with it, verse number four, the creation of symbols, phrases, ceremonies to gain spiritual insights, power, and control. How are you going to control your people? How are you going to control? How are you going to have special power? And those principalities were passing on to them special powers. You have ceremonies to get into that. You have certain things you're supposed to do. One of those things, obviously, was human sacrifice. So they taught how to do human sacrifice. And the, the, the deities that the people were creating for themselves sacrificed people, often young babies. That was considered to be something that would give you more and more life. Even if you drank the blood of young babies, it would give you youthfulness. That was the, the, the way they went into insanity. Are you following where I'm coming from? Aren't you glad we're not near those superstitious times anymore? We offer in sacrifice every day just down the street from here, the great shrine, the great temple that's just down the street, murdering babies every day. Folks were insane. Who would ever think that anyone would approve of that? Yet here it became part of the ritual for them. It became part of their understanding. Let's sacrifice babies. The gods will give us more. There's more fertility, more productivity, more everything coming if we'll just do that, that given thing. That's insanity. Now, why do I call it spirit-aided insanity? Because not only did their foolish hearts get darkened, but now the spirits that were over them could feed them more information all the time, could feed that insanity, could energize that insanity even more than it was. That became dangerous, kids. Then there has to be a way to capture citizens, to be able to get those citizens to accept those symbols, those phrases, those ceremonies. They've got to be able to accept that thing so you capture the citizens with the fake news of false prophets. There are false prophets that were speaking. And as those false prophets spoke into those societies, those societies received that fake news and became a part of it. Let, let me just go back to Egypt just for a moment. Here in Egypt, where Israel had been made captives and slaves to them, Every day they learned the lessons of the mythology and the theology of Egypt. Every day they're watching the ritual of the sun rising, and as the Pharaoh brings the sun up, every day they're hearing Egyptian mythology and theology all the time. God is going to come to them, and he says, I'm going to fight with your gods as much as with you. Let my people go. Get them out of this insanity. I have someplace else I'm taking them. I'm going to take them to a land that I am going to show them what truth is. And they're wrestling with those gods, and they're having that showdown with those gods. God delivered the children of Israel out of that land. But because the theology was so thick in them, because it was so strong in them, even watching all the miraculous deliveries 
they had had. When they come over and Moses is gone for 40 days, they're ready now to rebuild the same bull, the same calves that they had done while they were in Egypt. That's insanity. That's insanity. And they even called it by the name Yahweh. They create this golden calf, which Aaron tells him he, he threw this melted gold on the ground. What do you think came up? There's this, this miraculous golden calf. What can I do? There it was, and the people, of course, are going to worship. Friends, it's insanity. And it's being aided by the spirits that are of that place. Are, are you following where I'm at? Track with me here, all right? How do you do it? Educational manip- manipulation of the vulnerable for control through worldview. All I need to do is to change the worldview of the vulnerable people. If I can just get the people that I have under my educational system to stop believing that there's some God you count on. Instead, there's the government you count on. Instead, it's those that we have enshrined as priests and priestesses for us, those who do the rituals, who do the ceremonies, who teach the doctrines. That's false prophets, kids. That's false prophets. And don't think that those in the, the training of those, those who get to be the false are, are any better. They're not. They are teaching kids a wrong philosophy. They're teaching students a wrong philosophy that leads to teachers who are going to teach the wrong philosophy. That's insanity. It's insanity because you can't think the thoughts of God. Are there people who, get, uh, who are okay through the system? Sure there are. Just as there is in any culture, you're going to have a remnant of people who do know the truth and who speak the truth. But they are a remnant. They're a smaller group. All right, let me go on further with you. Not only is it educational manipulation of the vulnerable for control through worldview, and that is what's gone on for years with a public education, media propaganda to control thinking of the culture. Listen, when you are fed enough of the false teaching of a false prophet, and it's coming through every game that you use, every social media that you use, every TV show that you watch, every movie that you watch, when the media's news agencies are not giving you news, but the same false news, the same fake news of the false prophets, you're going insane. That's how you maintain the insanity, kids. You've got to keep telling them this, this is what's true. This is what's true. Goodness. I know people don't necessarily like to hear about it, but it's right in your face. We put up with this for the, the whole COVID experience. That was a wash, kids. That was a wash. There was a whole lot of false stuff that was stated in that that was made to believe was so true, so true. Until finally, after it's all now over, we can see that, well, yeah, yeah, some of that was true, yeah, yeah. Letter C. So if the educational system works and the media propaganda works, you may have those crazy people who are taking the red pill. You have those crazy people who actually know who Jesus Christ is. You have those crazy people who are saying, wait, 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 wait. 
What do you mean there's no God? He just answered prayer for me. I talk to him every day. I know who this God is. Here's his word. This is what his word says. At least he's not insane. You people are insane. There are those people who are left. So for those, flex a muscle. You can't do that. You'll do what we say or. You'll do what we say or you'll pay dearly. Last summer, we spent a whole lot of time going through totalitarianism. And if you can't see, kids, that that's what's at work in this whole system, then you need to look a little closer because it is what's at work in the whole system. There are those who desire that this whole system will be founded on that which is not true. Let me go on. Flexing a force to quell thoughts of independence. Then the unintended insanity is thought of as wisdom. Look what it said here in uh, Romans 1, or, yeah, 122. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So here's this insane system that what do they call it instead? This is wisdom. This is revelation. This is absolute truth. Kids, there is a grand difference between science and scientism. A huge difference between the two. Science at least is willing to examine. Science at least is willing to challenge its thoughts. Maybe its thoughts are not right. Scientism does not. It calls consensus truth, and whatever we said was true is true, and you've got to believe it. That's not science. That's religion. It's the religion of scientism, and it's insanity. So when you call that unintended insanity, I don't think anybody ever set out to become insane. I don't think anybody ever set out as a king or a queen or an authority here. Let's, Let's see how we can be insane. They set out to discover a new way of life, just like they did at the Tower of Babel. How, kids, can 150 years after you've just seen the most devastating flood there ever could be and all those people who have been destroyed, how is it that 150, 200 years later, you've decided you don't need God anymore and you'll just build a tower tall enough that if he ever floods it again, you'll be at least above it? How how do you come to that thought? That's insanity. And it's spirit-assisted insanity. There are those willing to help you with that insane thought. So what happens? Look in verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God, seeing what they were doing, recognizing that as long as I've got my spirit contending against that, they're not going to see the consequences of what they're doing. It's the consequences are going to kill them. Now, here's the big deal. When God is giving us rules and laws to live by, it's in order that we can live. Without those, those safeguards, without that living, we're going to die and kill ourselves. It's the destruction of a society to walk away from the truth of God. 
But the only way it seemed that people could learn it was if he backed up his safeguard and said, now do what you want, and when you see what this produces, you'll say, oh my goodness, we've got to stop this. This is killing us. We're all dying off. But they didn't. They didn't. They only grew worse at what they were doing, okay? I think it doesn't take a genius to see that sometime in the 60s, God took a step back and just said, you're nuts. This is going to kill you. Let me step back. And once we could have seen that this really is killing us, we could have stopped. But that's not what our desire was. Our desire was to continue in the same program we were doing. Let me go on further. God's removal of mental safeguards from infected people. The people now were infected with a virus of independence of God, the rejection of truth. And now God's going to step back to let them have what they want. But that's not all. When that came, there was an inrush of spirits to encourage independence from God, to enforce false prophets' doctrines. We've had spirits in this country a long, long time. You can see those spirits were in operation all throughout Europe. They were the whole time of the church, the whole period of the church. There was a lot of spiritual warfare that went on. It was intense as the gods of that whole European world fought against all other people all the time. There was a whole lot of things going on with that. Those same ones traveled here with that country plus the spirits that were already here. There was an intense spiritual warfare going on all the time. And when it's clear we were going to follow God, we could win that spiritual conflict because you can't can't confuse people who know the truth. But once you start rejecting that truth, you're giving the spirits opportunity to rush in and fill up a mindset and a mind, a way of thinking so that the people can't think truly. All right, let me go on further with this one. There was an inrush of spirits to encourage independence from God and enforce the false prophets' doctrine. Number one, this is the first step in visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children for generations. Here's what the Word of God had said. That's why we read Exodus 20 in the first place. You'll have no other gods before me. And if you make an image of the God before me, I am a jealous God. And I will visit the iniquity of the fathers unto the children to the third and the fourth generations. Visiting the iniquity. Let's talk just for a moment about that. What is iniquity? Iniquity is the twist in us, the way we twist the truth, the way we twist ourselves away from God's authority. That's what iniquity is. It's a perversion of God's authority. Can I say, we're all twisted folk. We're not all twisted exactly the same way. We have, each family has its own kind of twist, the way they dealt with authority, the the way they dealt with all kinds of things. Each one, each family had its own twist. How many of you right now feel like your back is hurting and you'd like to go ahead and just twist a little bit? Go ahead. All right. That iniquity, that twistedness, is visited on the children of the third and the fourth generation of those that reject God. Are you with me? That twist. So I'm getting to inherit a twist. 
I'm getting to inherit something that is opposed to God, and I'm getting it from my mother and my father. That's where it's coming from. That means that I'm already going to be twisted in a particular way, in a way that my parents are twisted. Let me go another step further with you because it gets even more interesting here. There is a, a, a field of study right now that's known as epigenetics. And that field of study says that stress and trauma and a variety of things can alter a gene expression. Not the DNA. The DNA is the, the same. You, your DNA is going to be the same throughout all the generations. But the expression on that DNA is determined by how that DNA wraps itself around proteins and how different chemicals attach to those proteins and give an expression to that, that, uh, uh, gee, that DNA. Everybody with me so far? That was, I know it's probably very confusing, but the expression of that DNA. In other words, you, you're still going to be the same person that you were, but you're doing things differently just a little bit. Some trauma came up, and the, the hormones that entered in that, the, the, the chemicals that entered in with that, altered the way you express yourself in that gene, in that whole DNA strand. And that gets passed on from generation to generation. That DNA expression, not the DNA itself. Obviously, if you, you have children, they're going to have a, an expression of your DNA. But how that DNA is expressed epigenetically is how God passes on the iniquity of the parents to the children. Because now here was this mom who was stressed out. Maybe, maybe it was about uh, being abused as a child. And there was stress left on that mom. And that stress that's left on that mom is in her DNA. She experiences that DNA. Can it be changed? Yes, it can be changed by a, 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 the entrance of the Holy Spirit into a person's life to be born again. Yes, it can be changed. Yes, it can be altered. It can be. You're not locked into it is what I'm saying. Epigenetic things are not necessarily a lock. You can change that expression, but it takes a pretty good equal traumatic episode to do it. Um, I started seeing this when Native Americans were talking about intergenerational trauma. What? Yeah, that, that there were Native Americans who felt the trauma of the way they had been treated all during the, the 1880, I should say the 1800s period, and all the way through the 1900s, that each generation felt that even though it was not something they were themselves experiencing. Some who have addictive behavior have seen that same kind of thing take place with them. But I'm going to leave it at the trauma for right now, all right? When our children, or when we experience a traumatic episode that we simply won't get past, we're going to keep that traumatic episode in. It is changing epigenetically who we are. And with that epigenetic change, that's going to be passed on to our children. So that if we have experienced the trauma of rejecting the truth and then have experienced the total pleasure of wanton sex, that's going to be passed on to our children. Are you with me so far? 
God visits the iniquity of the parent unto the children to the third and the fourth generation. So I can say it this way. To that generation or those generations, a couple of generations there that rejected God and went on with all sorts of idolatry and that sort of thing and then used the power of education or training, used the power of media, used the power of the priest, used the power of whatever priestly society you have, whatever group that was, then that next generation starts from there. When they're born they're starting from there as the start point, not back to Adam and Eve. They're starting with the trauma and the things you had so that that next generation accepts them openly what you tolerated. You follow where I'm at? So this generation tolerates something. This next generation says, well, that's, of course, that's the way it is. They accept it. As when that generation continues to live, as long as they keep expressing that and God is trying to resist it and then steps back, the next generation is really, really insane because they're starting from where the second generation left off. They're not going back here to the parents. They're not going back to the grandparents who knew God and followed God. Nope. They're starting up here. So that I can say, by the time you get to the third generation, hold on, they really can't help the way they think. Why? Because they were damned by grandpa. They were condemned by grandma, who's just expressing herself, who's just expressing himself without realizing I'm passing on to my kids that trauma, that pleasure, they're getting it. And that's going to be passed on to their kids. Let me show you from the Word. All right. <clears throat> Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies. That's generation one. To dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's for all those people during our lives that said, I'm so glad we're liberated from the church. I'm so glad we're liberated from all that Christian philosophy and all that Christian nonsense. I'm so glad we're free now. We weren't free at all. You're binding yourself. So God gives up on them. So he steps back. Now watch this. They continued, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. So, get this. This generation has a moral problem. This generation accepts the moral problem and adds to it. They're starting for where this generation left off then this generation that's getting involved with total immorality, they're now providing for their children the opportunity to accept openly homosexuality. Complete insanity. Spirit-aided insanity. Are you following where I'm at? If I can say it then, this group here couldn't help the way they think any more than you, born a sinner, 
could help the way you think. Are you following me? The, our theology holds dearly that we are born twisted, born perverted away from Almighty God, and that we have to have a conversion experience to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. It's the iniquity he's laying on. You follow that? It's not just the sins, kids. It's the iniquity. It's the twistedness that led to that. All right. Let me go another step further with you. Epigenetically, this puts the children inheriting from the parent this mindset and worldview to start their lives. The children are starting their lives with the mindset that there is no God, therefore there are no standards. They are blocked from thinking the reality of sin. How did they get it? From their parents, just like all of us did. To reinforce the mental insanity, moral corruption is practiced and encouraged by the unclean spirits active at the source of the belief system. So the unclean spirits are pressing us on. We don't know enough perversion. Here, let me show you a new perversion. Let me show you a new way you can do this perversion. Let me show you another new way you can do this perversion. What if you add this to that perversion? And so the unclean spirits are adding to us all the time, and we're willing to perform those because they feel so good. It's such an adrenaline rush. It's such a complete rush. And with that, we're building into our whole DNA structure those expressions that are going to say to the kids, this is where you start. One more step. Habituation and demonic wisdom and God's desertion intensify insanity to complete self and cultural destruction. A remnant people retain righteousness and speak out. Some insane folk can be rescued. But I want you to look where it goes further. It says in verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, not just some, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Kids, that's insanity. That's insanity. And that's a place where they are reaching a point that they cannot repent. They cannot repent. Uh, with no repentance, let her be, with no repentance and with spirits blinding the generations, the succeeding generations of God forsakers lose all moral capabilities and drift into perverted, mentally weakened homosexuality. Unless humility, repentance, grace, faith, and obedience arrive, the culture is damning itself. The third generation by visitation and epigenetics cannot think differently and cannot repent. God may not grant them repentance. They are fully insane and without hope. Their grandparents condemn them with their laxity and selfishness. Only God's regenerative grace can rescue that last generation from their certain destruction. That's where we are. That's where we are unless the church of Jesus Christ arises with its commission and carries out that commission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, there isn't a hope for what's going on. You understand where I'm coming from? 
We've got to have this. It's the only safe thing you can do. It's the only, ready, sane thing you can do. They're without the capacity to think what God thinks. They can't see it. And they're locked into that until you come to this one great thing. But I show mercy to thousands of them that will love me and hear me. So I can say that when we bring that great grace message of God's love for them and God's desire to save them from that, they can be saved. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the things that you're doing in us every day. We ask, Father, for our culture. We're in trouble and we recognize it. We know, Father, that the false philosophies have led us to some wrong conclusions about things and that we're doing things in a way that is so offensive to you. Judgment must surely come. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would give anybody, anybody hearing this, anybody hearing the message, that they give them the opportunity to turn, to repent, to see Jesus before that judgment falls upon them and they cannot turn from it. Father, it's not our desire that anybody, as, it's, as it is with you, since we are your kids, it's not our desire that anyone should die, should perish, should be without God forever. So, Father, please, in Jesus' name, save souls for Christ's sake. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.